1: Welcome to Classical Ideas. This is Greg Soden. In March 2018, I interviewed the Rinzai Zen Roshi, Mado Moore, as he was opening up the brand new Karinji Zen Monastery in Wisconsin. We talked about the palpable excitement as Mado was waiting for his first new residence, finalizing the construction of the monastery and celebrating the release of his book, The Rinzai Zen Way, out from Shambhala. So I put the episode out, and little did I know that the episode would find a listener who was a lifelong student of Buddhism, but was also looking for a teacher. He heard something special in my conversation with Medo, so much so that he sought him out. So my conversation today is with that exact listener who is now a guest on the show, and his name is Robert Schaefer. He is a fellow New Yorker from across the state, and he recently traveled to Karinji Monastery in Wisconsin to complete a Zen ceremony called Jukai with Roshi Mado Moore. So in our conversation, we talk about Robert's lifelong Buddhist practice, his Jukai ceremony that he just completed, and why it was such an important milestone in his life. And we also talk about sort of like an hour-by-hour breakdown of what it's like to be on retreat and living a sort of monastic life at an American Zen monastery which uh, many of you can probably find. It's just outside of Madison, Wisconsin, and it's called Coringi. and you can find their website at coringi.org. So if you want to follow Robert, you can find his Facebook group called Returning to Silence, if you just type that into the Facebook search bar. If you want to follow me, you can find me on Twitter at classical underscore ideas, or at facebook.com slash podcast. If you take a minute to rate this show on your podcast app, I would also hugely appreciate it. So without further delay, please enjoy my conversation on Zen, Karinji Monastery, and Jukai with Robert Schaefer.
0: Robert Schaefer, welcome to Classical Ideas. Thank you, Greg. I have a lot of respect for the effort you make with this podcast, and I'm honored to be on it.
1: Well, that is so nice to hear. Thank you so much. Um, Can you just introduce yourself to the audience, however you see fit?
0: Uh, My name is Robert Schaefer. Uh, I'm a Zen Buddhist, a father, a grandfather, a professional chef. Uh, a sculpture. A sculptor. I uh, rescue as many huskies as my life. My wife will tolerate. Uh, I own a company that manufactures uh, pickles and fermented products in New York City called Divine Brine, and that's pretty much uh, where I'm at. What, it, what does uh, Divine Brine mean? Um. What does it mean? Yeah, it, it, yeah. Well, uh, we take uh, extraordinary efforts to create a product that is um, free of all kinds of pesticides, uh, chemical additives, colors, artificial flavors. So it's, you know, we try to keep it divine. I love it. it. it.
1: Um, So off air earlier, you were telling me that you found Buddhism upwards of five decades ago. Yes. What is the sort of like condensed version of finding Buddhism and what intrigued you and grabbed your attention once you found it? Okay.
0: So, um, as about 14 years old, I was very, I I came from a very strict Roman Catholic family and, uh, I was totally rejecting the whole blind faith, except what they tell you kind of approach. I really wanted like a, Direct experience of spirituality, like not being told what to believe. And uh, I wanted something much more organic and uh, developed from within. So I started like doing uh, yoga and meditation. And I came across Ram Das's, I Remember Be Here Now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it totally rerouted my life. It just, it was one of those books as you're going through the page, page by page, you're going, Yes, yes, yes. And I was like 14, 15 at that time. And, uh, you know, I know that book has influenced tens of thousands of people. And he just passed away a few weeks ago. And uh, but I stayed in contact with him for years. And um, in the back of the book, he had these suggestions was books to hang out with. And there was like, maybe a hundred plus books. And I started buying every one of those books as a kid. And I was mm-hmm. reading them or taking them out of the library and just immersing. And the Zen books were really grabbing me. So uh, I'd be, you know, getting up at four o'clock in the morning as a kid, burning incidents. And my, my parents were convinced that they had brought home the wrong kid from the hospital, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, and all this was reinforcing that. So um, there was this, there was this lecture uh, like an ecumenical council uh, up in Fordham University about in the early 70s. And uh, Edo Shimano Roshi was on the dais. And um, everybody was speaking about, you know, all the speakers were speaking about the particular practice, whether it was uh, Judaism or, you know, yoga or whatever was up there. But when he was up there, he had such an incredible presence. There was a moment where he took out a handkerchief out from his uh, his robes, opened it up, blew his nose, refolded it, and it was like, this man is doing his practice right in front of me right now. Hmm. And it was so imp- profound. It was the most simplest thing you could imagine, blowing your nose, but it was done so incredibly mindfully, it was like a lightning bolt that hit me. So I, at 15, (laughs) I was living in Queens, and he had uh, a center in New York City called, on East 67th Street called Shobuji. It's still there. And um, I would tell my parents I was going to go play handball, and I'd jump on the subway, go to Manhattan, and sit Zazen with this Japanese uh, Zen master, and that's how it all started. Uh, And it was it was electrifying and he was that was when he was just starting that center and he was full of lightning bolts uh, you know he was really incredible uh, so, yeah. so
1: that's edo shimano roshi you said right right okay so what uh, school or practice of zen was he is he a rinzai practitioner
0: yeah he's yeah, rinzai yes
1: okay so you found rinzai like right away from the very beginning Right, yes. Okay, cool. So, because I was going to ask you, like, did you, if you had any specific reasons you landed on Rinzai, but did you try out any other kinds of Buddhist oh, practice yeah. as
0: well? Yeah, I did. Okay. I, you know, there was a period in my life where I, uh, I spent some time with, uh, the new Kadampa tradition and I, uh, uh, spent 10 years and then I eventually became a teacher. I had a, a group that met in Babylon, like about 40 people and, uh, I spent years doing that, but I decided that I really had to get back to my Zen roots. I uh, started training in Long Island uh, here um, with a gentleman called uh, Rick Hart, also known as Kendo, and it was called the Clear Mountain Zen Center. Then uh, I felt that that was, really wasn't the right place for me. I moved on to the Zen Mountain Mountain Monastery up in Mount Trepper, New York, and I became the student of Conrad uh, Ryushin Mar- Marshage he was the abbot at the time and i asked him to be my teacher and i w- originally i went there to be a Dido roshi's us te- uh student but uh he had, he was his health was fa- failing and then he died so uh, that was impossible so uh,
1: so that's john uh, Dido warrior, right, right, right. Yes, yes okay okay um so Have you like so you dabbled in lots of different Buddhist practices and retreats over the years. Um, And so all of that history, is all takes place before you and I ever became aware of each other. And so I'm curious how you came to be aware of this show, because you and I have been corresponding now for a long time, like at least at least a couple of years. It feels like. Um, Do you feel do you remember like when you first became aware of this? I think
0: – well, I know that Mado's uh, interview was uh, – that must have been a couple of years ago. And, and I think that's originally when I, I came in contact with you. And and that's how I originally found Mado. Oh, um, wow. Through, wow. Through your podcast.
1: That is yeah. kind of amazing, actually. Um, yeah. So okay.
0: Around and around the
1: circles we go. <laughs> it, it's really amazing. So you, you found this show and – that that you're talking about, Mato Moore, who is the abbot of uh, Amer- American Rinzai Zen at Coringi in Wisconsin. Yes, and so he has a great book out, The Rinzai Zen Way from Shambhala. He's right. got another book on the way. Yes, um, it's
0: coming out uh, October twelfth. Another one's coming out. Yeah,
1: awesome. So, what did that experience of hearing his conversation with me, like, what did that inspire in you? Who was already a lifelong practitioner of Buddhism? Like, what did that like do in your in your mind that drew you to him?
0: Um, I was very much interested. the The practice that's done at Zen Mountain Monastery is a blend of Rinzai and Soto, and my leanings were more towards pure Rinzai. There's a lot there for me, and um, so when I listened to my, I got the book after uh, after hearing the podcast. It made a very deep impression on me. And I started contacting him, I had conversations, and I had been studying with my teacher for uh, Jukai pra- you know, uh, precepts, you know, to do the precepts with my uh, teacher, but I was having reservations about my current teacher and the way, the direction that the Sangha was going, and I was looking to make a change, but I wasn't sure if Maito was the person, and we just built a relationship that built up into like last weekend.
1: Oh my gosh! Okay. He... So you're a critical player in this.
0: That's amazing. Does, does he know this? Does he know this?
1: This connection between me and you and him?
0: I don't know, but uh, I'm not sure he does now.
1: Well, maybe he will now. Yeah. Hi, Mado. Okay, so um, so over those correspondences, like, what caused you to want to take that ju- that jump into Karinji? Like, why did you decide? Okay, this is really where I want to go with this.
0: Um, there is. Uh, you know when you there's a vibration that goes out from a teacher that is when he is really on the money and really a true practitioner and he's walking the walk and when you meet his students his students are manifesting and, and you know when you go to find uh look for a teacher a really great barometer is to see how his students or her Students are behaving and manifesting. Uh, I find it, you know, uh, Mato students were uh, focused, devoted, mindful, uh, uh, compassionate, and uh, that spoke volumes to me. But Mato uh, was so accommodating. So, you know, how can I help? What can we do? You know, uh, and I love that. And um, he's very approachable, extremely knowledgeable, and he is really doing pure Rinzai up there like like I've never seen in any form by anyone in the United States. And I've been, you know, wandering around for a while.
1: Did you ever do any retreats um, out at like Mount Baldy or Tassajara or any places like that on the West Coast? Not West Coast, no. Uh,
0: I have people uh, that have. I know people that have, but I did not uh, go out there. Okay. Uh, I did plenty far. At, at Zen Mountain Monastery and things like that and all around, but, you know.
1: Cool. Um, which is awesome because Zen Mountain Monastery is actually right down the road from me. I live in Buffalo. You're in New York City. And they're right. kind of like right, right sandwiched right, right in between us. us. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and a bunch of people in Buffalo Zen, they go over to Zen Mountain Monastery as well because that's what the lineage of the Buffalo Zen group is. Uh, so right. they they go over there all the time.
0: It's almost like a branch, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so you recently—you just kind of alluded to a trip that you recently took to Wisconsin to attend right. a retreat at Coringi, right? In just outside of Madison, Wisconsin. Right. Um, so it's, what? It's about,
0: it's about a forty-minute drive north of Madison.
1: Okay, cool. So, what was the purpose of the retreat that you went to? Why did you go to that one? Was it a special retreat?
0: Why did you well, go this time? I I designed the retreat. I was originally, what I asked Mado was, you know, I felt that uh, that to bring new students up there, there had to be more of a bridge, something that wasn't as, in, uh, as intimidating, perhaps, as a session, which is like full-on seven days of silence and, you know, maybe 10 sitting sessions a day. And, you know, it has, you know, that's really hard for a beginner brand new at it to to break into it. So I, I discussed with him, how about we do like a five day uh, quote unquote informal retreat. And he said, Robert, let's do it. Uh, it sounds great. Put it together. And I have a, a Facebook page called uh, returning to silence and uh We've got about thirty five, thirty six hundred people that follow that, and I I opened it up to them. I said, "Look, would anybody like to participate? This is what we're going to do. It's not going to be super intense. You're going to be able to ask questions and learn and do whatever." And uh, and I got a good response, and we went ahead and did it. So uh, that was the last. That was last week.
1: Okay. So. Okay, so can you tell me a little bit about the setting of Karinji like what the building is like what the grounds are like tell me a little bit about the physical place itself
0: well you're deep into uh these rolling hills in uh in wisconsin in farm country and uh it's pretty remote uh there's two main buildings uh there's one that is like the residence and uh and the eating, you know, the kitchen and everything that, the library and, you know, assorted, uh, special rooms. And, uh, and that's where, uh, the Roshi also lives. And then there's the Zendo, which is about, you know, a couple hundred feet away down the hill. And, uh, it's a big, big hall that is just, all of it is only is brand new. So uh, it's actually, it's just sparkling the place and it's kept immaculately. And, uh, it's done with such good taste and balance with natural light and everything. It's it's really beautiful. Are there like
1: walking trails or anything like that around? Like what is the environment? Oh,
0: around? yeah. I mean, uh, you know, well, we'll get into that more later. But I mean, yeah, there are uh, uh, plenty of roads and trails. Uh, one person that was with us is, she was from uh, Milwaukee and uh, she just was having the best time, like when she have a break, just walking for miles and miles undisturbed. And uh, there's plenty of that. Uh, yeah. Wonderful.
1: Um, so you said this was a five-day retreat, right? Right. How many other people besides you from returning to silence went? Like how many people uh, who don't live there actually went on this
0: retreat? I'd say probably about nine or so, eight, nine people participated, you know, it varied day by day. But yeah, it was about nine people.
1: Yeah. Where did everybody stay? Because I think that I remember that Mado said there's only six live in people who are there. So where did everybody uh, stay there's, while they were there?
0: There's one large room and uh, we all have sleeping bags and it's all genders. And it's like we sleep in this room. Yeah. just like it in a regular monastery
1: did you sleep in the zendo itself or were you in different rooms
0: no it was no one big room that oh. we
1: all sleep in yeah
0: oh even the six living people
1: yes oh okay I understand so there's, cool.
0: less li- there's less there's less living people right now but yes yeah we all the the monastics residents and all the guests are all in one room and uh you know no gender division there we
1: go so, so let's talk about the observed and practiced form of the retreat. So you arrive at the monastery. You oh. a- arrive in street clothes. Right. Like, then what happens? Do you change? Like, what, what, How does it work whenever you arrive at a monastery for a retreat?
0: Well, you know, uh, first of all, our Mado was gracious enough to come down. He actually drove down and picked us, uh, three of us. that flew in from New York. Uh, so we had 40 minutes of – you know, some really interesting conversation on the way up. And, you know, people had questions and people just getting to know each other. And uh, when you get up to the monastery, uh, we had lunch together and uh, we kind of, you know, Medo was said, look, what do you want this retreat to be? What do you want to learn about? And I had some uh, very specific requests. Um, One was that he has um, some Rinzai breathing techniques that he outlines in his book that really require i feel uh the teacher spending direct time with the student it's like you know you could read about it to a certain extent but you really don't want to create bad habits you don't really want to create uh you know something that he's going to have to fix later on so i really wanted him teaching me directly how to do it so he says oh that's great let's we'll devote an hour each day to that and so everybody was on board with that. And other people had questions on how to sit or how to do this and that. And they were so so extremely gracious and just anything we wanted to do, he said, we will form this the way you want it to be. But there are there is monastery life, you know, and it kind of felt, you know, we fell into that as well. So uh, by dinner time that evening, you know, all the kind of maybe the uh, questions and everything subsided We went down. uh, Some of us have uh, robes from years of practice. Others just would put on – you don't put anything on that has a logo on it or Godzilla or whatever on it, but you would put on – you know, something uh, subtle, dark colored clothing that wouldn't distract other people, uh, comfortable and warm because it was zero degrees outside. It was the middle of winter in Wisconsin. You know? mm-hmm. So uh, you really had to have a, a couple of extra layers under there because the Zendo is generally, especially in the mornings, it's like about 50 degrees. So it's like, woo. <laughs> So this is like a
1: like a really customized experience for you guys. Yes. Like, Are you going to do more customized experiences like this in the future, do you think? Because this yes. sounds yes. like it's like yes. out of the ordinary.
0: We have a plan to do more. He wants to do two or three a year. Mm. He really loved the way the whole thing uh, came together. And uh, I have more people that are interested in going that are part of uh, uh, returning to silence that couldn't do it the first time but want to do it the next. So it's. I think it's going to be something that uh, is going to grow. Hopefully. Yeah.
1: Cool. Um, did you all that came in from New York city, did you come with similar goals or was this sort of like a tailor made experience for each individual person?
0: It was really tailor made for each person, which was the beauty of it because, uh, one person had zero Zen exposure walking into this zero, like no reference whatsoever, but just kind of trusted in me. And, uh, She was a teacher that uh, teaches mindfulness in the New York City school system and really wanted hands-on, non-intellectual approach. So she just threw herself into this and she was embraced and uh, it was tremendous. Another person was an an abbot of a monastery that's here. So uh, it was like from A to Z as far as experience and everybody was accommodated beautifully.
1: What I want to know is for that teacher who had never done Zen before, how she felt about the whole process, like what were like some of the major struggles that you saw or talked about her as she was going through this experience for the first time?
0: You know, it's a little, you know, it's, it's intimidating. You know, Uh, you're sitting in silence, uh, perfectly still for 30 minute periods. Uh, you're being silent for extended periods, uh, during the day uh you're doing everything from trying to eat oatmeal with chopsticks you know there's all kinds of like you know it can be very uh disorienting you know there's bowing there's this very rapid fire chanting that is in like a sino japanese uh sanskrit blend that you know, makes absolutely no sense to you and you can't possibly keep up so there's you know there's and there's like me having uh, ceremonies and all kinds of things happening, so there's a lot. It's a it's a big heavy hit. So even though we call it an informal retreat, you know, somebody that has like zero experience still was incorporated, but it was definitely challenging for that person. You know, um, yeah.
1: Oh man, that's okay. so amazing. So um, okay, so. What I want to know is like some of the, some of the details of how oh, the yeah. actual Zen retreat practice yeah. starts. So like what happens like right when you wake up? Like take me through All like right. a step by step, you know, process oh. of like the first few hours of being awake on like the first like real day of the retreat.
0: Oh, perfect. Yeah. So at um, five a.m., uh, the the senior uh, monastic yells kaijo, and everybody wakes up. She turns on the lights. You have to jump out of your sleeping bag immediately. You stand at the edge of your sleeping bag. You you bow in Gosho. Then everybody runs to, like, the bathroom to take care of whatever. You get into your robes, and the robes are quite complicated, you know, if you know, if you, you know, it's like an Iato outfit, you know, that's made for sword play and it's really layers and ties and all kinds of things. You got to get that done in 20 minutes, plus the bathroom, plus, you know, you know, all this stuff then. And you're also putting extra layers underneath because you're going to be in a, you're going to be sitting still in a cold, you know, uh, Zendo. So you got to get that together. So at 5:20, you have to be, you have to run down the path down to the Zendo in the snow, uh, you, it's, uh, the wood burning stove's not on yet. The electric heaters are keeping it at about 50 degrees and then you sit in your, uh, your assigned seat and however you're going to sit, you can use pillows or however you want to sit, but there's a very strict posture and a way to hold your hands and, uh, the, and you are not to move for 30 minutes. Then, uh, some bells ring or clacking goes with the wood and then you are we do uh 10 minutes of kinhin, which is like a walking meditation in a circle and it's it's usually at a pretty rapid pace there and then 30 minutes we sit down again 30 more minutes of sitting and uh you know the the person in charge in the zendo is called the jiki jitsu and he and she will go around and correct people like you're not holding your hands right you know but very quietly and very compassionately and just making adjustments helping people maybe your head's bent a little bit or your back is not straight or whatever you know then uh slowly dawn is uh showing up through the zendo. You he's not to see light and then at about 6 30 the the jiggy announces dokusan and that is the private meeting with the teacher. So everybody makes a beeline out of the Zendo, runs up the hill, runs into the the monastery, runs up to the second floor, and we all wait in line behind a gong, and there's a a room that the teacher's in a private room, and he rings a bell. You respond by hitting the, the gong twice, and you move energetically into the space, you do a bow, then you do another bow, and then you're one-to-one with the teacher, and you are, you. it can, it can be, all kinds of things can happen then. Uh, if you're just starting, it can be very cordial, kind of, how's it going, how are you feeling, what are problems, what are you dealing with, how can we, you know, that kind of thing. If you're more advanced and you've you've been uh, working with a teacher for a while, it can be pretty animated and loud and confrontational mm-hmm. and fun, you know. There's a lot of – it's very intense. You know, if you're doing koan study, uh, especially in Rinzai, it's very animated at times, and, uh, you know, you have to become the koan, you know. So uh, it's very uh, – it, it, it depends on the level that, you know, but either way uh, – the Roshi is very compassionate either way. Yeah.
1: So, how long was the Dokusan process that you all went through? Because you were all in a line, and you all,
0: I assume everybody went through? Yeah, every, everybody goes through it every day.
1: Okay, so, so how long I- is that process from start to finish for the Dokusan?
0: Oh, maybe, depending on how many people at a day, anywhere 20 minutes, a half an hour.
1: Okay, so, so it's I'm, like right, right after one after the
0: other. Yes, sometimes, you know, you go in, you give him your answer, and he says, he just rings his bell, and you're done. You can you're, you're rejected. <laughs> so, uh, sometimes they're fast, sometimes you know, it could take quite a while in there. Somebody could take quite a while. Uh, then the next thing is we have like maybe a 10 minute break of just standing still, and then we do uh, choka, which is uh, this morning ceremony, which is chanting, and it's about a half an hour's worth of uh, chanting all these uh, Sino Japanese, um. Uh, Buddhist chants like the Heart Sutra, things like that. Then uh, we, um, the next thing is we have at 7:45. Then we have uh, uh, Shukaza, which is like a morning meal, but it's uh, done in Oriyoki style. So it's very much uh, formal. It's silent. There's uh, there's a whole. It's an orchestra. It's almost like a ballet it's like uh, orchestration of unfolding the balls and your utensils in a sequence and uh, things are being uh, presented to you to eat. There's signals to uh, signal whether you want more or less or no more. Uh, and uh, prayers are being said while you're setting up all this stuff. So it's a bit, it can be a little bit of an overload. And meanwhile, you're getting oatmeal uh, and you're trying to eat it with chopsticks, um, which is challenging. And then what you're doing is you get a couple of slices of daikon radish. And that's used to you eat one of the radishes, but the other one you use as a Cleaning utensil to clean the bowls when they pour some tea in your bowls, and that's how you clean your bowls. Mm. Mm-hmm. So uh, then, um, when that's done, and it's all the whole monastery is pretty much lacto-ovo vegetarian throughout the whole thing, you know. Um, so then, at eight thirty, we uh, we change. You know, we get into like work clothes and. You start doing what's called samu, which is work practice. So you spend about an hour or so, and you start doing tasks that need to be done to maintain the monastery: uh, replenishing firewood, kitchen duty, vacuuming, sweeping, shoveling snow. It all depends on the season. It could be gardening, you know. It could be all kinds of things. But uh,
1: so, what so, what time of day are we at now? Whenever you start getting eight, into the work practices, 9.30. Oh, so it's early still. We're still. Way early A lot has
0: happened already <laughs> It's unbelievable It's so efficient <laughs> Oh it, it is totally efficient uh, At about 10 o'clock We kind of come together And uh, at, we, we did uh, We had an hour of free time here Where somebody could read uh, Do yoga Go for a walk uh, Do personal practice Like jian zhang or yoga or whatever And uh, even take a nap Whatever you needed to do and then uh, at 11 o'clock, we'd have an informal midday meal, which would be like a soup, mm-hmm. a, some rice and a salad. Uh, after, we'd have a little conversation just to see where everybody was at. Uh, at one, we, every day, we would have uh, lessons by the Roshi, where he would take us to the Zendo and actually teach us one-on-one, you know, how to do these Rinzai breathing uh, methods or whatever. Uh it, that was incredible. Uh, it was a missing piece that I've never been taught in any other rinzai practice for my whole life. And he brought things that out that, uh, and he took them to such a level. Uh, you know, he said, "Well, once you do this, and you can do this, and then you can do this," and he kept showing you ways that as you advance, you could take it further. So it wasn't just one and you're done. You know, you kept could he you could see as you after you left here, you know, you would be able to still take it further and further. So it was great. And I wanted direct knowledge from him on that. Uh, people would go for hikes. Uh, one day, uh, after the teaching, he took us all in the car and we went, uh, and we went for a hike in a beautiful Glen and, uh, we saw a frozen waterfalls and just had a, like a real nature immersion experience. Um, one day, uh, it was my birthday up there, and we we celebrated my birthday, and we had some brownies, and we just had a good time. Uh, you know, so there was all kinds of stuff that went on. You know,
1: earlier today <clears throat> you said that you are a you're, you're a dog person. I love following your dog posts on Facebook. By the way, um, <laughs> did you get to meet the monastery dog that recently oh, yes. had knee surgery?
0: Yes, yes, uh, Phelan. Uh, he is totally recovered right now. In fact, this week he's a- allowed out again, and he is fully. Functional and he looks like he I, you know, like nothing had happened. He's full of energy. He's eleven years old, but he's he's just doing tremendously well. And I mean, thanks to all the people that you know help uh, Mado with uh, getting him better. And uh, he and he is just this great presence in the monastery. Nice
1: and Mado nice.
0: Mado and him oh, are just like uh, so incredibly close. You know.
1: So um. What, specifically you were doing some work practices right so what what physical labor were you mostly doing while you were there
0: um i was in charge of uh maintaining the the zendo so it was like sweeping the outside vacuuming inside uh taking care of i mean it gets into minute minute detail of removing the ashes out of the out of the the incense holders like and everything has got to be in a very precise exacting manner so what i would do is actually i would take pictures of exactly how everything would be and so that i could put back everything exactly the way it should be because uh if not when the teacher comes up to you know to the altar he immediately starts arranging things you know that you screwed up So uh, you got to be like really on your game, you know.
1: So what is the purpose of the work? Because I know that's very much part of the practice as well. So what is the importance of all of those roles like while you are in your practice mode?
0: Well, you you are, you know, I don't know if you've heard the term,, uh, you know, carrying water, chopping wood. It's really uh, embody you're really looking to embody your practice not just it's not sitting it's everything it's 24 7 it's it's my sleep i do work on my koans in my sleep so there's like there's no it's no off switch so you are doing uh this practice with the mindfulness you know um shoko the the jiki and the senior monastic there you know would show me something and she says Look well, what we're doing here will reveal exactly where you are right now, <laughs> and really, it just that it's very, you know, especially things that were uh, painstakingly tedious, you know, is very revealing as far as like the attention that you are in in this moment. You know, if you're just gonna, I'm just gonna bang through this, no, nah, it doesn't go that way. You know, you really have to be present and embody. You know, it's moving, Zazen. Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So what is the evening or like the dinner time, like through the end of the day? What is that section of time like on these retreats?
0: Yeah, we about 445. We have dinner. It's informal, uh, you know, same kind of thing. And uh, then we wash up a bit at seven o'clock. We do two or three more of the 30 minute sessions with the kin in between one night uh the roshi as a birthday present another birthday present uh did a shugendo uh vajrayana ceremony uh in the zendo it's like a 40 minute ceremony uh that he did with uh lighting fires and uh it was just incredible and uh, we all were able to uh participate and be part of that he all had he had us all right wishes on pieces of wood and that was entered into the fire in the ceremony and was very powerful experience so that's kind of thing that happens some evenings most of us are in bed like you know nine ten o'clock some people were exhausted especially after the first day or so because just adjusting to the schedule and time change or whatever but um you know nine ten o'clock because you're getting up at you know five o'clock you know but
1: So it's a little bit, um, you
0: get a little more sleep, it sounds
1: like, than in some other nations in the world with Zen practice.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, like, if you go to a regular, you know, monastery and they're doing like uh, Session, you know, you're getting four hours of sleep, you know.
1: Yeah, grueling.
0: Especially, you know, if you're doing uh, Rohatsu, which is that, you know, at the end of the year, uh, you know, you, you might not even get any sleep so uh, at the end of that uh, 7 day section so um yeah so this was that But well, that's why i said it was you know informal in that we you just it wasn't piled on to people that were totally new you know you don't want to like blow them up you know
1: mm. i really like that because it makes it accessible and open for people who may want to deepen their practice in the future instead of scaring them away right off the bat
0: I think that's so important i think that's so important like you know to let them uh become intimate with pieces and let them ask questions and understand instead of just going some through some mysterious thing in silence for days and really not knowing what's happening you know here people were able to say look you know we did this what does this mean you know and they were able to interact with the roshi and roshi was you know every question was asked and it was perfect because people really could then put their arms around it and understand it you know
1: mhm okay so um the other day i saw a post that you made on facebook and it was a <laughs> ceremonial post where you were in the middle of it and yes, you yes, 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 i know yes, you yes. it was a ceremony called jukai And on your Facebook, you wrote a status that said, there are not sufficient words in my vocabulary to describe last night's events to you. Yes. However, since I am interviewing you, I want you You to try. Yes. yes. What is the purpose of of Jukai in Zen? Why did you do it? Tell us about this experience and why it matters so much.
0: Okay. Um, Well, there's a lot here, um, but I'll try to put it together as best as i can um chukai is made up of chu which is receiving granting and kai which is precepts so you're you're with on a deeper level it's like opening a space within the core of your being to what is like natural and true and kai is not really just were uh, the precepts are just not rules like commandments that keep you on the path but more as like Sign post, point, posts that kind of point you in the direction of uh, acting in accordance with being benefit to other beings. Um, so it's really a very deep commitment to living your life according to Buddhist precepts. Uh, you're making it for the rest of your existence. The first part of it is you take refuge in the three jewels, which are Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And the second part is where you, as a lay person, you do five lay precepts. And it's like an affirmation not to kill, uh, not stealing, uh, not misusing sexuality, not lying, and not clouding the minds with uh, drugs or alcohol or things like that, you know. Um, it's, you know, different lineages have different approaches to this. Uh some uh will uh give you some beads to put around your arm as a symbol uh symbol of this. Uh some lineages have you uh sew a rakusu, which is like it looks like a bib, and you hand sew it. Uh during your precept education it's months usually a teacher in in my tradition that i was in a teacher basically tortured me for a year telling me not to do it and telling me all the reasons not to do it so that you really fight your way through it and uh, some lineages also ask you to transpose the entire lineage from shakyamuni to current uh, literally writing out every name for 2,500 years. There is a extensive, usually extensive training and studying over the course of the, let's say a year or two that you prepare for this. But it all depends on the lineage that you're in. Um, Mato's attitude is if you ask for Chukai and you're ready, you're gonna get it, you know. Uh, But um, it's a serious commitment and uh, I have to tell you, I originally went to Rick Hart for Jukai and I sold my Rakusu. (laughs) This is why I said it's hard to put this together Mm -hmm. in words. Uh, And then he passed away. I went to uh, ZMM to go to uh, 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 Dato, and uh, he passed away. I went to um, Ryushin, And Ryushin was the abbot at the time. And you have to go through this whole extensive eight gate. uh, You know, there's all kinds of gates to become a formal student there. And I went through it took a year to go through all that. And then he left the monastery then, so I wasn't able to do Chukai then. And then I reconnected with him and did all the Chukai training and realized that when I met Meido that that was the Sangha and everything. So it's been like over a course of 20 years of making this effort to try to make this happen that finally came to fruition. And it was extremely emotional. It was very powerful. It was very significant to me. It's... Um, you know, it's essentially you're already living the precepts by the time you take the precepts. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You really, you're at that point in the practice where it's really not, oh, I'm gonna, you know, work towards is. It's really, you've really kind of incorporated it at that point, and this is really just a confirmation of your practice.
1: So, what is the ceremony like? What is Mato doing while you are doing this ceremony?
0: Uh, he is, uh, he he comes in initially to the group of people that are there and he explains the significance and uh, the solemnity of the situation. Uh, I'm waiting outside. I uh, I He puts some incense on the burner. He sits down. I come in. I do three bows. I put some incense on the burner. I come in front of him. I do three bows again. And then he asks me to. Commit to these precepts. There's language that goes along with it. He does some prayers, and um, I do some more bows. There's, you know, I make a little speech of how I feel about the whole thing, and then uh, everybody who was extremely, extremely supportive, and I had some very close friends there. uh, It was. it was just wonderful. I just can't, like I said, it's very hard for me to put into words. I have a lot of levels of uh, significance for me. So, um,
1: do you see yourself traveling to Karinji a couple times a year? Like, what is the uh, your future practice with this location that you have bonded with so intensely?
0: Well, um, Mado has been very generous with his time, and I am constantly in contact with him in Messenger and in Facebook related worlds um he uh i plan on being there as often as i can i plan on maybe moving on from my business and retiring soon that will give me more time available for that he also has family here and he does classes in connecticut at times where i can reconnect with him easily there and and uh have you know physical meetings with him so there's ways you know if you want to make something happen you make it happen
1: well, I know that he has connections to New Jersey as well.
0: Yeah, well, he has family there.
1: Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, so what comes after the Jukai ceremony? Like what um, what did you do after that at the retreat? Was that on the final day? That was the final day, final night. Okay, cool. So, um, you know, now that you've done this, this coming to fruition of this 20-year process where you've gone from teacher to teacher, center to center. right what are some of your future goals in Zen practice?
0: (laughs) Well, uh, I love that you said that because, um, the name that I was given is Mutoku. You get a name, you get a Dharma name. Oh, cool. Uh, Okay. Uh, so my name is Mutoku and that's, uh, no gaining. Excellent. So, So, um, so you're really not looking at attainment, you know, And uh, it's a very powerful name for me. And um, essentially, you strive to really serve the community, this new Sangha community, and serve the teacher as best as you can. But you really have to keep your practice consistent and strong. You, Like I sit uh, between an hour and a half, two hours a day. I do liturgy on my, in my private practice. Uh, you know, there's a lot of you know chanting and different things that take place. Uh, and um, you really have to live your life according to these precepts, you know, very much seriously. So um, I don't have any, you know, Buddhist career goals. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of antithetical to what I'm trying to do here. But um, it's really it's a, it's. It's a lot of work to be steady on your practice, not waver up and forget about it one day. It's like to be on it, on it, steady. And it takes a lot of it takes it takes a lot to do that. And uh, I just look to keep that going. I have studies I have. I do co-on study with him, which is a very, you know, a powerful, powerful means of working on yourself. And uh, and that's that's very much part of what I do.
1: Well, and you know, you just said koans, and I kind of wanted to talk about our our mutual friend, Corey. Um, So I did a koan episode with Corey, and we had a lot of fun talking about koans. But how do you see uh, your koan practice as being an essential part of your actual practice?
0: Uh, Okay, well, you know, teachers have a way of um, taking your temperature. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, you will, some koans you'll get, you'll say, "Ah, I got this, you know, boom, I've got it. Then others, uh, you'll get stuck on, sometimes for years, sometimes for months, sometimes for days. It doesn't doesn't really matter. But um, what you find interesting is after you do, let's say, 30, 40, 50, 100 of them, you start to see patterns emerging. You start to see that I always get stuck with this particular type of koan. Like there's something in me that is not, there's a lesson to be learned here. Like here's an area I keep running into that is like this, some blockage, something that uh, I have to work on. And if you're observant and you really look into yourself, it could be very helpful. You know, you really have an opportunity then to. Uh, th- this is like valuable information, you know. So I can, I use my koan practice like that. But I, you know, um, you know, it, it's to me, it's you know, I do my koans while I'm in the kitchen, while I'm driving the my car, um, at sleeping. I find myself at nighttime dreaming and sleeping with them. Mm. <clears throat> So I mean it's a total all in commitment with me. So um, it kind of you become the koan. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I like I tell you at the monastery, there was a moment when the night before my birthday, I had been um, I had been struggling with this koan for a month, and I was just i really into it and involved in it, and uh, and when I went to Mayno with it, I. I I gave him an answer and it wasn't the answer I want, you know, that he wanted. And I went back and that night I just, I was working on it all night and there was one point where I had this rush of like a hot energy from the tips of my toes up right through my body, like this vibrational heat that just swapped through my body. And, um, the next morning, I had the answer to the koan, and uh, it was right in front of me. And I went in, and I passed the koan, and it was just – it's very – it's not an intellectual process. It's very experiential, very it, – it, it's not engaging the discriminating mind. So it's very, very challenging. You can't Google the answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um- –
1: I know that you're also a super voracious reader. We've talked we've shared book suggestions uh in Messenger right. throughout the last, you know, several months or whatever. Yes, yes. Um yes. what are some things that people who may be listening to this who might be, you know, exploring Zen or interested in different ideas across different traditions, what might you suggest people read to help them gain a foothold and a little bit of knowledge into what you're doing on, with your life?
0: Oh there's some wonderful books uh, that are out that uh, to, to help beginners. Uh, Mato's book is an excellent, excellent beginning book. I agree. Uh, I think it really, uh, first of all, it lays out uh, so clearly uh, the approach and uh, the discipline that's needed and uh, gives wonderful suggestions and illustrations on just – how to do virtually everything with it. If you were to pick up that book, if I had that book, I'd be a different person, you know, uh forty <laughs> years ago. That when I started, there weren't books like there are now. Uh but Mato's book is incredible. And the next one I think will even be more along those lines of being able to take it further. Um, I believe it's called um The Rinza. <laughs> Well that's 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 the um the first one the first one yeah the next one's called hidden zen practices for sudden awakening and embodied realization oh wow so um if you had those two books you know uh i think you'd be really set on a good path there are many other books there was a uh, there's another book out recently by uh Bonnie Miotai uh, trace uh, called wake up and uh, that's a brand new publication. And she was one of the original teachers at Zen Mountain Monastery. That's also a very good book right now. In fact, my wife's actually reading, which is, you know, very encouraging. Uh, so, uh, yeah.
1: Awesome. 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 Well, um, Robert, do you want to, uh, say again where people can find you online? I know you have a, a very prominent Facebook group that you would may encourage people to join. So where can people find you if they want to get in touch?
0: Yeah. uh, Returning to Silence is the name of the Facebook page. Uh, People are, we, you know, we have discussions on uh, Zen topics. Uh, People that need help or, you know, have interest in things uh, participate. Um, And I could definitely point them to also to Karinji's site, which is, Absolutely excellent. And also Karinji's page. And also there's a Rinzai Zen discussion group that NATO oversees, which is really excellent for getting many, many Rinzai viewpoints on uh, Zen practice. I found that it's a excellently uh, administrated page and uh, the tone and the maturity is there.
1: Mm. And I know that Karinji's website, I think, is just karinji.org. And I know that they yeah. also have a Patreon page where they do yes. like videos and things, right?
0: Right. He has. He uh, teaches techniques. Uh, if you become a member there, he uh, has all these videos that he's archived over the last couple of years of Breathing techniques, how to hold a prayer book, how to uh, sit properly, how to – I mean, just incredible – it's a growing volume of information that is a, becoming a great resource.
1: Yeah, because I mean I feel like – my favorite thing about his book, The Rinzai Zen Way, is that, that there there's so many practical f- – things in the book that anybody can understand and he's got so many images so I almost feel like with the patreon and the videos he's taking the book and bringing it to actual life
0: exactly that's exactly what he's doing it's fantastic
1: yep. well Robert I am super grateful to you for spending an hour with me on a Friday night um, I know that you have uh, a big weekend ahead of you going to markets to uh, yeah. you know to work and yeah. um I'm just thrilled that we finally got to do this. I know we've been talking about it for a long time, so I appreciate your patience with me as I get through the massive list of my to do list for my guests that I want to have in the future. <laughs> um, so I'm super glad that you've uh you know found this show useful. I'm super glad that it was it made some kind of impact in your life. like you have no idea how how amazing that is for me to hear. And uh, I am really glad that you could be a part of this project as well.
0: Well, it's my honor.
1: It's been like 110 episodes ago that I had made so I've uh, I've been making some ground up on this uh, on this show. So <laughs> I think you'll be. Uh, I'm really glad that you can have him um, and Corey Hess, our mutual friend, uh, to all share the same roster of guests. So yeah, yeah. it's awesome. So I'm yep. super grateful, Robert, and uh, thanks for coming on Classical Ideas. It's been
0: a real pleasure. Same here, Greg. Thank you so much.
1: Classical Ideas is produced by me, Greg Soden. Music on Classical Ideas is composed and performed by Derek Streibig. You can find his music at www.wearewarmmusic.com. If you like this show, please rate it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can email me at at classicalideas@outlook.com.